Welcome to the Crypto Campfire. Made Health Mary Earl, Mitch and the Professor. Featuring special guest Felix Hartman. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Crypto Campfire Podcast. This is the Professor. And Mitch. And today we're reaching even further back into the live stream archives for an episode we did with Felix Hartman on March 18th. This was actually a really good episode. We got to dive into some, some crazy future sci-fi stuff. Uh, he's, he's a dystopian author, so he's got a lot of really cool thoughts that bounce around upstairs. And it's kind of fun to pick those out and descend down some of those rabbit holes. We thought this would be a good one to bring back around for the countdown. We've got two more to go to episode 100. I hope you guys are having a good time so far. If you guys haven't already, check out our Twitter page, at Crypto Campfire. Uh, we're giving away $100 from the Crypto Campfire merch store. All you got to do is find one of the release tweets from today's episode releases and comment the favorite thing from that episode that you heard. And then just retweet and make sure you follow us. And you got a chance to win 100 bucks. That's right. That's right. All right, guys, we hope you enjoy it. Have yourselves a great day. Hello, Crypto Campfire listeners, and welcome to the Cryptocurrency News in a flash with the Crypto Gent, IBM's blockchain product used by New York's largest healthcare group to fight COVID-19. McDonald's, Starbucks, and Subway to join China's digital yuan trial. And that's the Cryptocurrency News in a flash with the Crypto Gent, and it's back to you, Professor. All right, YouTube is initializing, going live, and we are live on YouTube. Hey guys, welcome back to the Crypto Campfire Podcast. Today we're going to be talking with Felix Hartman, the managing partner at Hartman Digital Assets, a dystopian author, and just a general crypto enthusiast. Before we start talking to Felix, Mitch, what up? The hell is going on oh, in this world? It's crazy, dude. It's crazy. It you know, I I got word this evening that. <clears throat> um, my boss, well, the company that I worked for for about uh, 26, 27 years, um, the main owner, you know, I've always been pretty tight with and his son's kind of taken over the company for him lately and, and we'll be taking over the ropes. Right. And, um, just found out tonight that he's, he's in the hospital with COVID-19 and, uh, it's not fair. And well, I mean, he's, he's in pretty bad shape is, is about all I know. Um, so it's uh, crazy how, you know, how much more real, or I should say, how much more uh, concerned you become when it when you when it actually hits close to home, you know. Yeah, I mean, you, as soon as it makes that change, it's all of a sudden like, oh shit, this is definitely real, and this is definitely happening. And even though right. you know, you still kind of already believe that, it's just sure really packs that punch. It does. Um, it cements it in, you know. So I am going to i just decided this right now i'm going to go ahead and pull up the crypto news from the crypto gent perfect but uh while i'm getting that loaded up so felix um welcome to the show first off but what is going on in your life as far as this coronavirus stuff are you working from home are you affected by this at all or are you just kind of observing from the sidelines yeah hey thanks first of all for having me here um it's been a crazy time so yes right now i'm in quarantine back home home office um been here for several days now you know now i will say i'm an introvert you know i don't leave the house that much anyway and i do like to work from home because crypto's 24 7. um but it's still it's very eerie it's very eerie because 
um, a lot of folks in the crypto space, myself included, you know, we've been onto the coronavirus very early on. You know, I was reading about it, reading about it, writing about it. Um, maybe when there's 400 cases, you know, and like as crypto folk, we have this tendency to predict like end of the world scenarios a lot, you know, like dollars collapsing, pandemics, recessions, and all that kind of stuff. And historically speaking, you know, for the past few years, we've been saying a lot of that stuff and it just never really kicked in. And now it seems like a lot of the stuff is kicking in all at the same time. Um, so for example, you know, I was writing an update for my investors um, on how Corona could be, you know, the needle that pops the dead bubble that could lead to a recession. Now I'm just sitting here like, holy shit. Um, you know, like all of this is like unfolding, but it's unfolding at a pace they don't think anybody was prepared for because pretty much the stock market did two weeks, two weeks that more damage than I think like 140 days in 2008. So it's really making 2008 look kind of cute uh, in terms of um, at least the damage that's been done to all asset classes. Yeah, you're not kidding there. It's just, it's accelerated so fast. And I know that a lot of us probably should have predicted that and seen it, but uh, I think there was so much, I wouldn't, I don't want to say ignorance, but I think, um, wanting to not believe that it was real happening that we just didn't react fast enough, you know? And, and well that, and I think it's also a certain desensitization, you know, we're, we're all aware like, yeah, we're kind of overdue for recession, but we've also been overdue for recession back in 2017, maybe already, you know, cause then things were already pretty overextended. So we're like, yeah, like the conversations I've heard a lot, you know, when I talked to potential investors, they were saying things like, yeah, we got another year, we got another two years, we got another four years. But if you notice, know that you're already in, let's say, Q4 of the cycle, it might be wise to take some chips off the table, you know? But I, I think, you know, beyond the financial aspect, just from a, even the health perspective and just from a societal perspective, I think our world just hasn't been in a situation like that. You know, we're, not, that they, not that we're soft, but like most Western countries, you know, we haven't had a war at home. We haven't had a crisis like this at home. So nobody really knows, like, how do you handle this? Even just from an emotional, psychological perspective. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and, and that's what's probably the most crippling, you know, um, throughout the Western civilization is just that, nobody really was prepared for anything like this. You know, I mean, I shouldn't say nobody. There's a lot of people that have been, prepping, you know, for a long time. Yeah. Right. Um, and they're the diehards and, you know, Hey, kudos guys. It paid off a little bit for you, you know? Um, but the never ending fact is, is that we're all going through it together. Um, so that's kind of, that's kind of the best part is that we're all in the same boat. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So we can all relate with one another, and it's just, a, it's a perfect time for unity and, and coming together as a society, I think, um, to help one another. I agree. I mean, I, I feel like I have two, there's two sides to that. On one hand, yes, it's like a common global enemy that we can unite behind, uh, unite against. Right. On the other side, I do think to an extent there is some level of nationalism that's rising here because everybody's closing their borders. Everybody's putting their own countries first. I, I mean, I get it. You know, to an extent, it makes sense. But when you hear things like Switzerland is closing borders to Austria and Germany or Germany's closing borders to Austria uh, or Canada's closing borders to America, the USA, uh, you know, those are all like, you know, country combinations that are culturally so similar where you're like, wait, you even Austria is closing the borders to Germany or even Canada's closing the borders to the USA. It is making, you know, not, not tribalism, well, nationalism. You know, it, it, I think to an extent there is a rise in nationalism where we put ourselves first. 
Yeah, I, I agree. You know, and, but at this point, you know, to, to keep the spread, right. To try and minimize the impact, I guess it's, it's something that's a necessity to a yeah. point, you know, but I think that's just like, I think the, the, the not exciting is the wrong word, but I think the interesting part to watch with this virus is to look for, you know, the tertiary trends, so to say, that emerge out of it. You know, I think a lot of people are focused on the health aspect. Now, a lot of people also focus on the financial aspect, but I think there's a lot other ripple effects like political ones and, and cultural oh, yeah. ones and social ones that really will come out of this. Cause I think it's pretty gener like this is by now it's pretty generation defining. It's um, obviously way, way bigger than, um, the bird flu or the swine flu and all that kind of stuff. Cause we didn't shut down countries. We didn't shut down cities when that happened. So it's just, yeah. Yeah. And I think those events, you know, have partially contributed to that lack of preparedness because I know even myself included when this first started happening, you're like, Oh, here's another swine flu. Yeah. You know, at the beginning you're like, Oh, here's another virus. That's never going to make its way. Right. Across. Swine flu, Ebola, Zika, you yeah, name it. We've all heard of something else. Exactly. And then there was that one day for, and it was different for every person, but there was that one day where it just kind of clicked and you were like, oh shit, maybe this is different, you know? Yep. And then like we were talking about earlier, once it's affecting somebody that you know, then it's just totally next level and you're like, oh shit, this is real, this is happening, now what do we do? Absolutely, I mean, something I actually said recently on Instagram, I said, look, most people won't take this seriously until the first celebrity dies. It sounds bad, but yeah. unfortunately that's how most people take. It's true. It's true. It is. It is totally true. You know, um, real quick before we get way too deep down this <laughs> rabbit hole, Felix, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you get into crypto. What, what brought you into the crypto space and what kept you here? What, what, uh, what got you hooked? You know, um, I started as a trader back in 2012. Initially, it was mostly equities and um, derivatives. Um, I went into the crypto rabbit hole um, first. In like, I, I knew about crypto, unfortunately, already since 2011. Back then, I just kind of discarded it as a, you know, Silk Road and, you know, illegal activities. You know, it, 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 I, got, I understood that it was, you know, a, a medium of exchange. I never saw, you know, the store value aspect behind it, you know, the, um, the, the investment potential in it really, um, that didn't kick in until in 2015, I was CEO of a crowdfunding platform. We, you know, after the jobs act passed, um, I, I was, I became CEO of a start of, of an equity crowdfunding platform. Um, Bitcoin as a, on my radar, right. In 2015 was a year when Bitcoin was pretty dead. Right. Like Bitcoin was really, wasn't really moving much. It was always in the 200 to $300 range. It was just like, you know, going sideways and pretty much coincidentally as the startup had a falling apart with my co-founders, cause it was three of us, uh, pretty much the other two started suing each other. Um, all of a sudden, um, this was like early 2017. Um, I saw, you know, Bitcoin come back to life and the trader in me all of a sudden woke up. Cause I was like, you know what? I've been trading since 2012 to me. Like that was an, clear, simple breakout pattern that was happening like on a macro scale. And I said, you might want to look into this because obviously like it's, I thought it's, it's found its price of equilibrium, you know, at like 200 to $600. And all of a sudden, you know, it's going to 600, going to 700, approaching a thousand, uh, which was close to its all time high at that point. And I went into the rabbit hole, you know, started watching anything I could from Andreas Antonopoulos, you know, started reading anything I could get my hands on. And pretty much two weeks passed where I didn't do anything else but research uh, Bitcoin, not even crypto, just Bitcoin at that time. 
Um, and then I quit the startup. I said, I'm going all in on crypto. Went all in on crypto trading. Um, I obviously did really well in 2017 because it was 2017. But beyond that, um, I also upped from Bitcoin by a multi X, which then led me to starting my own hedge fund because I had a lot of outside investors um, wanting to invest through me. So that kind of what brought me in it. And, you know, I launched the, the fund. I, I formed it in like February of 18. So that was, you know, already the beginning of the bear market. I launched in June of 2018. So I had the pleasure of suffering through like a lot of ups and downs, right? So, oh, you yeah. know, I think when we launched, Ethereum was still sitting at $800. <laughs> Last week we saw 80. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been a roller coaster. But, you know, what's really kept, like, I would say, the, I think it's with many people. The money is what draws people in and it's the technology and the fundamentals that makes them stay, right? The trader in me said like, wow, there's, there's an opportunity for like, you know, another massive rally. But then even when Bitcoin crashed to 3000 in November of 18, I, you know, I said like, look, the fundamentals never changed. Just like last week, you know, especially last week, I, it was 4 a.m. at my time. And I live watched as Bitcoin drop from 7,200 to 5,800 in like 10 minutes, 15 minutes. I mean, I said frozen in my chair because like it, it went so fast that you couldn't even make a transaction over the blockchain. There wasn't that much that you could do. So I'm just like, when does it stop? Wow. It was, it was like January of 2018. Yeah. It was insane. So, and to, to me, but that, that, that obviously there was a lot of processing that I needed to do that next day. But then when I did that processing, I re and I, that next day, I think was the day when the, um, the US government announced the 1.5 trillion that they're doing in, uh, in loans and like they started doing the bailouts. <laughs> and then that, that, that very same weekend, another 700 billion in QE and interest rates to zero, no reserve ratio. I'm like, hold up. Yes, price went down, but everything went down. Gold went down, oil went down. Oil is like at a 2003 levels right now. The fundamentals haven't changed. And if Bitcoin was ever needed, it's right now when there is no reserve ratio, when we're going nuts, literally, I think we, we printed $3 trillion in four days. The US GDP is 19 trillion. We, tr we basically printed like 16% of what this entire country produces in, in four days. And where's this gonna go? Especially when in the past, you know, we, we print a fraction of that and the market would respond, the market would go up, you know, stocks rally. What happens now? <laughs> we print this much, we get the worst day in, in history. 3,000 points on Monday, I believe, or it ended at 2,700. So, Confidence just fell off the cliff. I mean, right. really, at that point. So, you know, to the question of what made me stay, um, it's really understanding the problems that it solves and having an, a, a big enough historical frame of reference, you know, looking at other countries, whether that's, you know, hyperinflation countries over the last two, three years, like uh, Venezuela, Zimbabwe, even Argentina, um, or, you know, political turmoil like Hong Kong, or if we go back to the earlier days, you know, with Cyprus, you know, uh, when they started using capital levy to pull money out of people's bank accounts. And when you take that frame of reference and you understand how crazy the world is at this time, right now, all those things that Bitcoin can protect you from um, are actually so much more likely to happen. Two months ago, it was unlikely that the government is going to do capital levy. Right now, I think in plenty of countries, that's a real oh, possibility, yeah. yep. right? Seizing assets, same thing, or preventing you from spending it in certain ways. 
And I think it's getting really scary now because obviously like we're in this really strange phase in the market right now where every single asset is dropping, which means if every asset is dropping, the only thing that they're selling it for is US dollars or some form of currency, right? A lot of currents are getting strength, which means the whole world is pretty much exchanging their assets for dollars, which at this rate are losing value by the day. Theoretically speaking, yes, on the, on, on, the, on, you know, on the charts right now, yes, they're getting in value, but when you do the actual fundamental math, um, there's a huge inflation that's coming. Um, so, you know, I think there's gonna be a lot of people that basically in act one of what's happening here will sell all their assets for cash and then get, you know, get caught in it by sitting on cash that's gonna be worth nothing. They were secured before, they were diversified before, but all of a sudden all they have is cash. Okay, so what do you th- what impact do you think this is going to have? The uh, uh, let me think how I want to phrase this here. So the the devaluing of the dollar or the disruption to the economy that we're about to see, what impact do you think that's going to have on uh, people actually trying to buy into Bitcoin before it can be banned by the government? Do you think the government is going to try harder to try and ban the purchase of crypto because of the other impacts we're going to see from this virus situation? Look, as, I think as long as the virus is public enemy number one, I don't think there's any focus or discussion about banning Bitcoin, right? That's like, I think if the virus is resolved, then maybe. Um, yeah, I'm talking like the fallout after this. Once, once after. we have the medical emergency out of the way and we're dealing with the economic destruction that's coming afterwards and potentially the devaluing of the dollar further than just inflation. You see, I think one of the really strange, you know, political paradigms that comes with America is its relation between um, financial hegemony and military hegemony, right? So because the whole world is based on the US dollar, right? Um, the US can pretty much print as much money as they want and they can take as much debt as they want. If they owe money to China and they print money, not only does the debt lose value, but they also have more assets to pay them back and buy back treasuries, right? Which means they, they that's why we can run a deficit. That's why we can spend more. What is it like more than the next 20 countries combined on military. And because we spend so much money on military, nobody dares to stand up to the U S nobody dares to speak up. Nobody dares to attack. Now this is like a positive feedback loop for the U S so to say, but what happens when all of a sudden, let's say the dollar does collapse and the world switches to different financial system. All of a sudden, the U.S. can't afford its military anymore. And when the U.S. can't afford its military on, anymore, um, you know, that also keeps, uh, that, that reduces its power from enforcing such, you know, things like, you know, confiscating Bitcoin, confiscating gold. Um, I mean, this is a much bigger macro, I think, discussion that's, that's going to happen there. Um, but in terms of banning Bitcoin, I just, it, it, it would need a lot of policing power. To enforce that, I think it would need a lot of right. policing power. I, I certainly um, don't think it's something that would necessarily ever happen. Um, but you know, the thought of people trying to or people trying to push bills through that either limit or or restrict the purchasing and, and you know that I, doesn't necessarily I, uh, mean it's the end of it. But I'm just no. But I you see, I think they they had a shot during peace times. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing is, I, I I wouldn't necessarily call this peace times right now. You know, like it's really strange, even in a city like Los Angeles, you know, not only are people fighting over toilet paper, right? But there is hour long lines at the gun stores, yeah. right? So I think there is a, there, there, there's like multiple narratives being written right now of what happens next. And we don't know which of those will be next. Um, but it's going to be very hard, you know, um, 
to enforce something when there's already chaos, right? When, every, when everybody's doing well, when the economy's booming, most people don't care about Bitcoin. They will say like, yeah, lend it, ban it, I don't need it, speculative craziness, you know? But when all of a sudden they realize the dollar is losing value and they can't really like, you know, do commerce with gold, you know? Um, they, they, there needs to be an alternative. So, I mean, yeah, Bitcoin is obviously one option. Um, I think it's the nearest one because all the other ones require bureaucracy. You know, like for example, if you said, hey, dollar fails, we're going to switch to the SDR, which is the IMF's um, monetary basket more or less. But that would take a while to, to, to implement that. Whereas with Bitcoin, we can, we can literally transition from right now in 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, we can switch that system over, right? Because everybody's a phone. Everybody can, you know, acquire some and I can send it to you. You know, there's no, yeah, it's, it's, it's just so much swifter. Um, so, uh, you know, they may try, try banning it, but I, I, I just don't see it in the current environment that it's possible. It's more, it's more question of, is it possible? It's definitely not. Po I mean, how you really can't ban Bitcoin. As long as there are people using it, it can't disappear. You, I mean, you can try to find ways to impose restrictions on network traffic and things like that to try to circumvent it. But when you can, can literally send Bitcoin over ham radio, you know, I mean, yeah. you can't, you can't really shut it down ever. The only way that Bitcoin can really get shut down is if people actually stop mining it because we moved on to another chain or something happened. And you know? I, I think something else to keep in mind is, um, um, talent and brain power when Bitcoin does become, you know, public, like it goes into really the, the public interest. Um, then all of a sudden, you know, we don't have, like, I think the number, Ethereum has said they had like 500,000 developers. So I don't know what the exact number of how many developers work on Bitcoin is right now. But if all of a sudden everybody is getting in on Bitcoin, everybody wants to like save their money in it, then also we'll have so much more talent and no, um, brain power going into it. Meaning we will have new privacy layers. We will have, you know, faster technologies. Like, you know, we'll have faster layer twos, you know, light network will get cleaned up. Um, so, you know, I think when that switch does happen, um, it will become so private probably, or at least have privacy features where even the government can't find out who you are and who has what. Which maybe, on the base layer could still be done, you know? Maybe, maybe the government should buy a, uh, a shit ton of XRP or a whole yeah, bunch please. of, uh, I mean, it's you know, standard, or a whole bunch it? of Libra token when it comes <laughs> out and maybe they can sell it at a high and, you know, pay off some of this debt, but... Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm with you on that. I don't think, you know, and we're just thinkers here, right? I don't think it's practical that they would try to um, abolish it, so to speak. And, you know, one thing, I guess the Supreme Court, and I don't know, I, I'm pretty sure this is fact, but I thought the Supreme Court had ruled Bitcoin as um, freedom of, under the freedom of speech because it's code and it's not necessarily... I, I didn't remember there was a Supreme Court case for Bitcoin. I need yeah, to look yeah. that up. I, it, like I said, it, it could have been false news that I read, right? Mm -hmm. You know, because I didn't verify and I didn't go back and do any more research. But that's why I said. <laughs> I gave and a disclaimer. You know what? I might be wrong, but. And you know what? You, one has to also add to the fact that if the U.S. dollar fails, then the world no longer revolves around the United States. Right. And it's an unfortunate fact. So if the U.S. wants to confiscate it, ban it, let them. I, I think the rest of the world will keep chugging along. I agree. And they, a lot of them will happily use Bitcoin. Because um, even, even if just, he's, like, there's some very interesting, you know, calculations um, 
I think the blog is bankless. You know, one of the guys there wrote a great article on, you know, economic bandwidth and like, you know, how, what price would Bitcoin have? What price would Ethereum have? Even for example, I think they did an example. If, if even just the country of Argentina was using Ethereum, you know, as the monetary base, you know, it would be worth a multiple of what it is now. So, you know, yeah. What if just 10 countries adopt Bitcoin as the reserve currency, or it doesn't have to be the reserve currency, but at least it could be, we could have Bitcoin standards, right? Where for example, a fiat currency is backed by, um, I don't know if that's a proper phrasing, if it's still fiat, if it's backed by something, might be wrong there, but you know, just like the gold standard, it's paper backed by gold. It will be paper backed by Bitcoin. Um, I think it's an option, obviously it's not ideal, but um, I can certainly see something like this happen, at least to fight hyperinflation, um, or I think what's possible in the United States just because of how everything's positioned right now is stagflation, right? That we have a rise in unemployment and a rise in inflation. All right, so I forgot to do this earlier and we got sucked down a rabbit hole. So real quick, I'm gonna throw out the crypto news from the crypto gent. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Professor. Hello, Crypto Campfire listeners, and welcome to the Cryptocurrency News in a flash with the Crypto Gent. Brave Browser delivers on promise and files GDPR complaint against Google. Coinbase's chief legal officer resigns to oversee U.S. national banking system, and BTSC.com is to accept Great British Pound faster payments on its website. That's the Cryptocurrency News in a flash with the Crypto Gent. It's back to you, Professor. So that was the very first live cryptocurrency news in a flash with the crypto gent, but we're going to have to talk with the crypto gent about amping up his microphone so that we can actually hear it better next time. But <laughs> cryptocurrency news in a flash with the crypto gent. Thanks, crypto gent. Can so, you believe uh, that about that guy from Coinbase going over to United or going over to the, um, what was it? What did he say? The treasury tre treasury. Yeah. Right. It's the former legal, uh, like chief legal officer guy, or something. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's that's crazy. Yeah, you know, it takes time, but these little seeds get planted. You know? Right, <laughs> little seeds, yeah, and that's really? bullish for crypto. I mean, it's got. I was going, yeah, right. I was going to say, like, well, is is that a good thing or is it a bad thing? I I think it's a good thing. You know, it's more pro crypto or crypto natives being planted in a traditional system. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, that, the thing about crypto is like, we got to have legislation of some sort, as much as a lot of people hate the idea of having any sort of legislation on crypto, there's going to be some, that's just the way it works. Because until you have that, a lot of people aren't going to feel comfortable using it. Um, I think there needs to be a very fine line or, or that there rather there is a very fine line, you know, of what is too far, too far and what is too much legislation and what's, you know, are you overreaching? But um, until we get something in place, I don't think we can really truly see mass adoption, quote unquote, but, oh, um, yeah. you know, Absolutely. getting those little I mean, seeds planted is going to be very helpful. If you want to use crypto without regulation, you, you always can, right? Yeah, like, exactly. like anything, like, no, again, nobody can shut down crypto. So if yep. you want to do things, unregulated things in crypto, you can, nobody's stopping mm -hmm. you. But if you want to get to the bell curve part where the, you know, we are reaching mass adoption, where we are getting out of like the, you know, the innovate and the early adopter phase, you got to get out of the gray zone, right? You got to yep. get where it's not just like old school financial guys, but also just like, you know, regular people, you know, they don't feel like, Ooh, this is the black market thing. No, it's like, you know, it's very common. It's very safe. Their tax advisor isn't like shuddering, you know, saying, Ooh, you don't want to touch these cryptos, you know? Um, because only when there is, you know, um, what's it called? Regulatory, regulatory clarity. Um, then, all the different like old school advisors and stuff like that will feel comfortable enough, um, you know, letting their clients use it. 
And I think right now there's just too much uh, fear mongering around crypto, which will, I think will go away once there's more certainty of like, you know, how do you pay taxes on it? You know, how um, is it being tracked and all that kind of stuff. So I got to ask you, let's go back in time. Mm -hmm. You said you posted a tweet about pretending to be married to your Tinder match oh and talking about Bitcoin. I, I need to know more about that. There's not enough information in the tweet for me to truly understand the depth of the situation. So that was a, that, that is one <laughs> shout out to Lauren. That was one of the funniest Tinder matches I've ever had. This thing went off for like a year. Um, what we, a year. Holy shit. Yeah, it was, it was, it was actually like Buzzfeed worthy. We're basically from the first message on, we pretended that we were married and then this went also on Instagram texts and everything. Um, even FaceTimes, you know, where we actually pretended we had like kids and shit like that. Um, that was always a pure humor. Like it's not even like that. And what's it called? Because obviously I'm, I run a fund and I'm a trader. Like I'm always talking about crypto. Uh, we had like a fake divorce you know, um, in this like fake scenario there. Um, and you know, we probably talked like maybe once a month or something like that, but it was always just like, you know, the, the, the story kept going on, you know? <laughs> and she was like, you know, basically the divorce happened cause I always just like focus on crypto and Bitcoin and whatnot. And I'm like, but that, that's not what's going to make us rich. Like you won't be complaining, you know, when all of a sudden, you know, we're getting the cars in the house. Um, yeah. So I posted the screenshot, I think actually. Right. Um, it was oh, pretty funny. Yep. That's awesome. It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I got a kick out of your line to your Uber driver that picked up your suitcase and asked you, do you keep bodies in this bag? You said, don't ask questions you don't want answers to. I love that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I think my Twitter is like, you know, it's 50%, you know, like philosophical analysis of what's happening in crypto markets and also just like some lighthearted stuff, you know, what's going on. That keeps so, you balance, gotta have it. You yeah. Have you gotta it. have that balance. It's more exciting that way. And it also gives interesting podcast questions. Oh yeah, I, 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 I love the fact that you guys like dug that deep and fun those. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Our research department is a professional at that. Yeah. Yeah. She, uh, she does. She likes to go back far and find some interesting ones. And oh god, occasionally she'll take... find something that people had don't even remember. We'll be like, so tell us about that time, and they're like, what the fuck are you? Wait, I know. I was like, when you started saying that, I was like, wait, what? Um... <laughs> well, I don't know. Is it gonna click? Is it not gonna click? We never know. Sometimes it never does, and that's just it. But you know, yeah, it, it's funny though, because um, you know, in the, in this day and age, um. I know like who said it was like Mike Dudas from like the block. He always says like, guys, you, you got to like delete all your tweets. Um, and it's so true. Cause like so many celebrities get nailed for things they tweeted like 10 years ago. Right. So I've been thinking about it, but then again, there's some like gems in there where I'm like, not, like it's funny. Like, yeah, keep like it, you know, the world will get over it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. unless you're going to run for president, then I would win. Yeah. It doesn't even fucking matter anymore. <laughs> I know. Right. I mean, at you this do whatever point, you want. I mean, you can be president. If, if Trump can win with everything he says, then anybody, yeah. Yeah. Right. There's you got to no, do some, yeah. There's no uh, boundaries anymore, I don't think. So. <laughs> I think, you know, I think it's a lot about personality too. Like you can't be too apologetic. You know, like if you, if you do something, stand behind it. If you can't stand behind it, don't do it. I think it's that simple. Cause like if yeah. you, if you stand behind it, I, I said what I said, I did what I did. Right. What are people going to do? Yeah. Right. Going like, up to it. Yeah. The funniest thing I think is that people are so quick to judge, but yet they're so quick to look at themselves. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I, 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 who are we to judge somebody else based on what they've done or what they've ever said, looking at what we've ever done or what we've ever said. So I, I try to live by that because I know if you dig deep enough in my closet, you'll find a skeleton. It's in everybody's right. Everybody yeah. makes mistakes. We're only human. So, but I agree with you, you know, own it. If you screw up, own that shit. 
Period. Yeah, you know, I th- well, I think that's <laughs> something you have to like accept when you go into the public life. You know, people yes. will dissect you. Yeah, you know, because um, nobody's looking at them. So, you know, it's easy to, you know, be a troll behind the keyboard. You know, that's like, especially like if it's an anonymous account, I will ignore it. You know, mm-hmm. like if an anonymous account writes something, don't even engage it. You know, they say right. don't see the trolls because mm-hmm. who knows what's going on in their lives. <laughs> no, this is true. Yeah. Well, and they could also be perfectly enjoying your content, but really just wanting to shit on you for funsies. Yeah. You know, I think that happens so much. And, right. and yeah, it's just important to not be bothered by it. And I know Mitch and I like to throw hug gifts at them. You know, right. You yeah. Think you needed a hug today. Here you go. And then move on with your life and fight it with love. Yeah. And they'll feel really stumped. They're like, uh-huh. They don't know how I to respond. Of, you can't yeah, be mean when somebody's nice. You know, <laughs> no, you like, can't, it's like hard to do. Yeah. Some people try and it's just, you know, it's just, that's the end of it. Cause it basically <laughs> then you're forcing them to be the asshole and they don't want to do that. Right. Yeah. They're like, they wanted to make you turn into that. Right. They're, they're yeah. trying to get right. a reaction out of you, but then they're like, you're turning it on them. You're like, damn. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you gotta have it up here, yeah. right? Felix, yeah. have you ever um have you ever used a crypto ATM to buy grip uh buy crypto? Actually, I haven't just because of the spread. You know, like okay. I've, I've I've played with them. I've pretty much went as far as actually purchasing it. Um, but you know, nowadays almost all of them require KYC anyway, so that benefit is gone. Um, and at the same time. Uh, you know, I remember like I was at a crypto ATM. I think Bitcoin at the time was trading at 6,500. The crypto ATM was selling them for 7,200. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's a solid, like I think on average, they're probably like 10% up, 12% up, something in that range. We, like, uh, you know- we, we were sponsored by CoinFlip and mm-hmm. they actually have the lowest fees in the industry. They're at, uh, I think, 6.9% spread. Um, which in comparison to everybody else is, is pretty reasonable. You know, I think... Uh, I think Coinbase is even at what, 5%. Yeah. But I, I will say, you know, there's especially two way ATMs. I love the two way ATMs where you can both like cash in and cash out. Yeah. It's funny story. I was, cause I do a lot of um, speaking tours in Europe cause I'm, I'm originally German. So I speak German. So I do a lot of seminars on Bitcoin in the European space. And I was in Vienna and as I was walking, there's a very popular street. I forgot the name. Um, I look to the side and it says Bitcoin store or like House of Nakamoto. I'm like, oh, let me check that out. So I walk down this alley. I'm like, Bitcoin store. You know, like the world feels so small when you find somebody else in Bitcoin. And they had a Bitcoin ATM in there and we were chatting maybe for two hours and I was fascinated. There was probably somebody coming in every 10 minutes to use the Bitcoin ATM. And that, I think that is one of the best um, piece of evidence for adoption where like, you know, like Travelers International right? They might not have enough euros. They, it, it's where do, where are they going to change the dollars to euros? You know, it's tricky sometimes, right? But if right. they have Bitcoin, they can just exchange it. And actually, you know, even with 5%, 10% on top, it might still be cheaper. Cause I remember I was in Europe in Greece and I ended up spending something like 15 to 20% in fees to cash out some money increase because you know number one my bank charged me for for an atm the atm itself charged some they cut us they 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 charged a spread between euro and dollar and there's like four different types of fees you know and exactly at that point i'm i was thinking i that's actually another tweet i made back then it was like june of 2019 maybe yeah where i said something you know what wouldn't it be so much easier if every country would also like would denominate the goods in their local currency and Bitcoin, that way any traveler, you know, has this one uniform currency that they can pay in. Right. 
Right. I think that, I, I think that's coming. It's just a matter of time. Right. And I, I think one of the, the good things about the ATMs is um, it puts a little bit more visibility out there. Mm-hmm. You know, like I know on the ATMs that I've actually placed in a couple of different or one particular location, we have these things that are called seed cards and these seed cards have like QR codes on them and such. Um, and it, the, the QR code will take you, take you to Bitcoin.org. It'll take you to Litecoin.org, stuff like that. And p- to educate people on what it is. So, it, you know, and on the top of the card, it says, are you crypto curious? Well, mm-hmm. this thing's sitting right next to a regular cash ATM. So people are going to look at it and they're, if they don't know what Bitcoin is or they don't want to, they're going to take one of those cards and hopefully learn, you know, you what know, that is. And you know what? I think what else it is, is also it just makes it so much more real and tangible where people always say, so if I have this Bitcoin, how can I turn it into real money? Cause to right, them, it's right. still, it's, it's an investment. It's a speculative thing to make some <laughs> money. Like, so, so how do I get money out of it? And it becomes so much more real when you can say, Hey, at this ATM, you send the Bitcoin to it and money comes out. <laughs> right. Yep. And all this like, wow, this is real. You know, this is not some like magic internet money. This is real, you know, which you can either accomplish by an ATM or by stores actually accepting it. I mean, it becomes real. Like, you know, when I started both buying things in Bitcoin or paying people in Bitcoin, all of a sudden you're like, this is so much easier. Yeah. And so much faster. Yeah. yeah. Once you start using it, it's hard to not. You know, right. I, I use Bitcoin anytime I have a chance and there's right. not, unfortunately, there's not a lot of, okay. I mean, I shouldn't say that there are a lot of ways to, if you want to go like Ken Bozak does um, and transfer it through a service of sorts, you know, to, to make sure you can spend Bitcoin in one way, shape or form on every transaction in your life, then you can. Yeah. Um, sure. But to do it in just kind of the normal flow of things, you can do it in some places, but not others, but at least you can get some of it done. And, and especially when we're doing online stuff, like our sponsorship stuff, we make sure we get paid in Bitcoin. Yeah. And, um, we transact in Bitcoin. We pay people in Bitcoin. We do things in Bitcoin anytime we can. And it's so much nicer. Um, and in fact, all the money that comes in for that, if I have to buy stickers or something with cash, it goes through my cash app, but it's Bitcoin. It's coming out as Bitcoin. And, um, you know, it's, it's so convenient just to have that ability. And if I really want to go get cash, I can either hit the ATM um, or I can just uh, transfer to pay cash app and use the cash app at the ATM or the cash card at the ATM. So, yeah, I, I think, you know, one of, the big, one of the big um, things that, that push it, pushes it towards like being more accepted, I think, uh, is people's willingness to hold, you know, because like if, if I told a random person that does know Bitcoin, if they accept payment Bitcoin, um, they have one of three reactions, either hell no, or like, well, can I cash it out? Right. And right. If it's easy to cash out. They will do it. But anybody who went down the rabbit hole, anybody who understands the fundamentals, anybody who believes in it and is willing to hold, I would almost say they're more willing to accept Bitcoin than the alternative. They're like, yes, please pay me a Bitcoin. You know, cause it's going to go up in value more than likely, <laughs> right. you know, Keep filling so, the bags, keep filling right. the bags. That's All right, right, Felix. So I've got one last question for you before we wrap up today. And in the context of this question, we can pretend that the coronavirus is not a thing. Okay. If you had to get locked in a store of your choice for an entire weekend and had to live there, what store would it be? Ooh, that's a good one. If I had to get locked up in a store for a week, whew, it's unfortunate because, I mean, it's a week, so there's got to be food. So like, A uh, weekend, so you only got two days. You don't have to worry about food. So I could be doing some extended fasting here, yeah? You could be. If it makes you feel better, you probably have water in the bathroom. Store. <laughs> <laughs> uh, most stores have a kitchenette anyway. 
Yeah, see, you'll be all right. There's probably some that somebody left in the break room. You can scavenge. Damn, this is. I mean, the first thing that, I think the first thing that came to mind, and oh, well, I'm going to give two answers here. Although the, yeah. the the first, the nerdy was like a bookstore because I, you know, if I can just like isolate and like read for a week, I think that'd be like cool. Like just be able to look at any subject and read. But you don't really need to be in bookstore for that because it's called Amazon Kindle. Um, <laughs> right. On the other, but then I was like, wait, you know. I looked over there. I, I'm somebody like I call it, I have swords, swords and stuff like that. I was like, you know what? Like a gun store could be fun, or like you know, some weapon store where oh, yeah. you can just like let's like, got you know, an indoor range, yeah. right? Let the inner, like <laughs> let your guy out and just be like, fuck, you know, like yeah, crazy stuff. There you go. That's yeah. fun. That's funny though, out. because like for me, I have a built-in range because I'm 10 minutes from the mountains in any direction, so wow. I can go shooting anywhere I want, more or less. But. uh like I should, I should preface that. I can't go shooting anywhere I want. I probably shouldn't go shooting just in the middle of the street, set up a target. That's probably not okay. But I'll go to the mountains where there's no people and shoot for a long time. And it's definitely just going out for even for a couple hours and just sitting there in the, you know, by yourself, having a good time is, is so peaceful. Even if, even though all the big bangs, it's not that disturbing. It's, it's an amazing mm. time. It's a good relaxation moment. And it definitely gets all that tension out. Especially oh, put that old computer out in the middle of the field and blast it to smithereens. Oh my God. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's a lot of fun. The few times I get to go to gun range, but um, pick up yeah, let's hope we don't need course. them. Let's hope we don't need them. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I'd pick a big ass department store. That's got every department in it. You know, that way you got beds to sleep in. You got oh. food to cook. You got guns to shoot. You got clothes. You got wear. Xboxes and yeah. PS4s. Yeah. You, got, you, you got home theater systems to watch TV on. Wow. I was clearly thinking too small, you know, <laughs> gotta go big, baby. Gotta go. I big. love it. That's the easy answer though. That's the easy answer. I mean, no, Costco, you, got so a, much fun. you got a piano, you got a guitar, you got yeah, a basketball you got everything. hoop, everything. You got computers, you, know? you got <laughs> telephones, whatever you want. You can buy Perfect. Bitcoin with every phone inside a Costco. <laughs> and you use up all the gift cards to buy it with yes right, exactly <laughs> just think of the points you'd get shit okay. all right oh so God. if the civil war breaks out i know where to go now That's go to right. Costco. but now we've Felix, exposed the truth to the internet Whatever. this was awesome we really enjoyed having you on this show man this was a lot of fun a lot i'm of glad fun. you showed up tonight uh, look forward to actually doing this again here in the future and maybe who knows when all this virus clears up, maybe we'll run into you in a couple of conferences here and there. Yeah. That'd be awesome. Most you guys have been awesome. Probably. It was a lot of fun. Very different, you know, more personal. Yeah. I hope you liked it. I hope you it's enjoyed the being on the Just show. That's sitting right. around the campfire, having a beer, having a good time. Loving it. Hell you guys yeah. have a good night. All right. Yeah. You, you too. too, brother. Take Thanks care. Thanks everybody for listening. It was good to have you. We decided to do this one live and uh, it was a lot of fun. So peace everybody. Take it easy. Peace. Man, that was a good episode. It really was. It really was. And, and, and guys, don't forget, man, with this contest going on, you got some pretty good opportunity out there. I mean, $100 worth of merchandise from the Crypto Campfire stores. I think a pretty awesome gig. So, so until next time, guys, we'll talk at you soon. Have a great one. Take it easy. Peace.